Hi, I'm Daniel Allegre with Yuga Labs, building culture on the blockchain through storytelling, experiences, and community. I'm here on Edge of NFT, featuring the pioneers, putting culture on the blockchain. Keep listening. Hey, NFT Curious listeners, stay tuned for today's episode to learn how the new CEO of Yuga Labs is continuing to catalyze the global cultural wave that began when four friends decided to create an NFT. And why integrity was the most important ingredient to the recipe of success our guest experienced throughout his career. And finally, why our guest gave into putting his cold Coca-Cola aside for a cold plunge next time he's in L.A. And yes, it's official. You can now dive into the captivating world of artificial intelligence with the Edge of AI podcast. Join us as we explore the frontiers of AI and its impact on our lives. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on Twitter at edge of underscore AI and LinkedIn for exciting updates and insights. You can also visit our new website at edgeofai.xyz. Welcome to the Edge of NFT, the podcast created by Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger, the podcast that brings you the top 1% of Web3 today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts of the business side and also the human element of how Web3 is changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features an interview with Daniel Aligre, the new CEO of Yuga Labs, a leading Web3 company known for the Board 8 Yacht Club. Yuga Labs is at the forefront for shaping the future of Web3 through innovative storytelling, immersive experiences, and a strong community focus. Daniel brings a wealth of experience to Yuga Labs. He previously held the position of president and COO at Activision Blizzard from early 2020 to 2023. During his tenure, he played a pivotal role in the international distribution and commercial success of major gaming franchises like Call of Duty, World of Warcraft, Diablo, Overwatch, and Candy Crush. He was instrumental in expanding the company's gaming presence across various platforms, including console, PC, and mobile, and led the growth of its international studios. Before Activision, Daniel's 16-year tenure at Google saw him lead global retail and shopping, and he developed key global partnerships significantly impacting Google's core business areas. His global influence extended to leading Google's Asia-Pacific and Japan operations and overseeing the Latin American business. Prior to Google, he was the VP at Bernstelman Media. Yuga Lab's mission is to harness the potential of Web3 by prioritizing imagination and innovation. The company aims to redefine the utility of NFTs in the real world and advance the entire Web3 space. It's a pleasure to have you today. Nice to have you. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Richard. And if you want to keep with the introduction, why don't we just do a full podcast about my background? Just <laughs> keep talking. <laughs> there's, there's a, making me sound like I'm 400 years old. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be like a Joe Rogan style three hour show. I think if we did that, I'm game with your game. Let's go. Yeah, um, at least 30 minutes. <laughs> and now a brief interlude from today's show. So you can get ready to wave your magic wand with cast magic. Our team has saved a ton of time and money using cast magic for our show. And the potential use cases are boundless for any company creating content. Imagine turning a single recording into a gold mine of engagement for any type of show, webinar, or other type of audio and or video content, whether it's short or long. With Cast Magic, you can save over 20 hours a week. No more tedious transcribing or brainstorming social media posts. Cast Magic does it all, generating show notes, summaries, blog posts, and even newsletters in minutes. Think of it as your content alchemist, transforming every audio or video into a treasure trove of valuable content. Want to experience the magic? 
Get a seven-day trial on us by going to bit.ly forward slash CastMagicReferral and join CastMagic's vibrant Slack community of over a thousand innovators. Don't just create, cast your magic with CastMagic. So Daniel, I heard through the grapevine, you're sort of also based in Texas, like Richard, huh? I am. I was living in San Francisco for a long time. I was, you know, I relocated from New York to San Francisco back in 99 and with some interludes in Asia, Singapore and Tokyo and China and Beijing, I was almost about 20 years in the Bay Area in San Francisco. And there was a round halfway through COVID, there was this big caravan of people leaving the city. And I said, where you guys are heading? I said, oh, we're heading down to Texas. So packed up the kids, packed up the dogs and got on the caravan and ended up in Dallas. So I've been here for two years. There you go. Well, Caribbean is coming back to L.A. There's a lot of folks recently coming back into the mix here. But I am curious, like with all that transplants from California, there's been a lot of biohacking here in L.A. where people are just jumping into cold baths of water randomly throughout the city. There's all these cold punch places. Is that trend carrying forward in Texas, too? I don't think so. You have to remember that Texas is an oil state. I'm trying to say with a the Southern Drought oil state. So the idea of something really cold now is probably still very much heated with oil. <laughs> but I've actually, I've heard about that. And I don't know if it's a passing fad or not, but my grandfather who lived a long and healthy life, he would shower every single morning with ice cold water, would never turn on the hot water. He just espoused the wonders of it. But I don't know, just warm water is so good. Like, why would anyone jump into a vat of ice cold water? You tell me, Josh. So I've been doing it for about a month and I've gotten up to 10 minutes of this craziness, usually in two rotations of hot, cold. And it gives you a kick. Like, I feel better after my workouts. I have more energy. I think Tony Robbins was onto something, your grandfather. So next time you're in L.A., I'm down to sort of make sure you kind of check this box like like every other trendsetter in this city of ours. So come on by. Yeah, Let's do it. it. Just, and just to add to that real quick for the benefits, I played D1 football and during our two days, they made us do cold baths after our stuff. So like there's definitely some use cases and I know it works. It's not ideal. I'm from Louisiana. I don't like the cold. It works, but like not my cup of tea personally. Yeah, there is also such a thing as called Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola really makes you like wakes you up and gives you a lot of energy too. So I don't know. Cold ice or really nice cold Coca-Cola. Not sure which one I'm going to go for. <laughs> Choose your own adventure, which is sort of the web three way. I think we really should sort of start by like telling a little bit of the Yuga story, and then we'll kind of go into more of your background. Like a lot of these interesting projects, and I remember the day after Board Ape Yacht Club launched. It was a couple of friends, four friends getting together saying, let's make an NFT, right? And then in this case, one thing led to another and you have a global company with a huge community behind it. How did that company evolve from that initial spark? How do you see it? And you've seen a lot of companies evolve like Google and so forth. So I'm just curious how you sort of look at the sort of genesis and history of this company. Look, I'm amazed at how quickly this company evolved and then how it became a global company as quickly as well, with having holders everywhere around the world, really passionate Web3 holders, as you say. 
Look, it started with four friends getting together, two of which are incredibly creative, obviously Gordon and Garga. And they had this first the idea of the Board Ape Yacht Club, that it's not just an NFT, but it's a community and it's a club, obviously. And then the second piece is what would you do if you were to create a brand or create this quirky artwork and give the owners of the NFT full commercial rights over the creative and do with it what they want? And I think that is that is an incredibly revolutionary idea. For someone like me who's been in the media space pretty much all my life, my family's in radio, I started in the music business at BMG and Bertelsmann before, before joining Google, the idea that you are going to sell your IP and then let people do whatever they want with it and use it as their PFP or create a new business out of it is counter to everything of media rights that one has ever <laughs> seen in the world. And it's really turning IP ownership on its head. So I think what they were able to do is they, one, they had a great story and a great storyline behind the Board Ape Yacht Club. The artwork was quirky, but also identifiable by so many people. And then add to that, essentially what it is, it's community-based brand building. That's what's actually been a tremendous engine of growth and innovation and passion and everything that you see. So it's fascinating how a company that's, what, two and a half years old has evolved and has struck a chord and most importantly, has been able to create what is, for me personally, the most incredibly connected and tight community that I've ever seen. And I've seen some really strong communities at Blizzard. People love the Blizzard games and Google. It's really fascinating. It's also an honor to be at the helm of this company. In fact, like what's really interesting that you mentioned is we started the podcast in late March 2021. And Board Ape Yacht Club launched in April. So, you know, there's some shared kinship there in terms of the timing of, of all this and what a roller coaster it's been since then. Yeah, I was going to say, coming from the background, coming from Activation Blizzard, working on a lot of the household names that everyone knows from mobile phone, Candy Crush to Call of Duty, you know what it means to have really strong community and what it means to build something that people are proud of to be part of that brand. Now, Joining back in April of 2023, back at the time, Gordon mentioned that he estimated it would take about six months for you to understand the Web3 space. Was that an accurate assessment? And was there anything else that kind of you thought you caught on quicker than you anticipated? And is there something that's taking longer for you to master than you anticipated? Yeah. He said six months, crypto months. And what I'm not sure is this crypto months are shorter or longer. So is it like six years or six days in normal human life. Look, this is such a rapidly evolving space that in my view, there's no such thing as I now know it and I'm a know-it-all. There have been a few aspects of Web3 that have surprised me, particularly coming from Activision, where in Activision, if you launch a new game, let's say a Diablo game or a World of Warcraft game, you announce it on Twitter, there's some pickup in TikTok or YouTube, and then there's a Discord and Twitch. But I wouldn't say that you live and die by the sentiment 
on Discord or Twitter, you listen to it, but it's not as prevalent as it is here in Web3. And that for me has actually been one of the most interesting parts of this. And it makes a lot of sense, right? So if you think that Web3, in addition to the utility it provides for any industry or any kind of engagement, whether it's in art or in gaming or in shopping or in video production, et cetera, the community and the community sentiment, I underestimated how important it was to stay connected to particularly Twitter and how passionately people feel about it and how you have these roller coaster rides of emotion that exist on Twitter. And that for me has actually been the biggest learning. So I didn't think I'd be spending as much time as I do on Twitter. But now that I'm on and I listen to the feedback and I get some really great ideas from people and I stay connected with the community, I realize how powerful it really is. And I think the other one is this is just such a rapidly evolving space that it's a little bit like gaming, where in gaming, there's no such thing as the winner takes it all, right? So if you have a great mobile game or a great console game, not only is it good for you from a business perspective, but it's also good for the other console game makers and all other mobile game makers, because it is the hockey stick growth in gaming. Well, multiply that by oomph in Web3, because we're really in the very, very early first part of the first inning. Forget about early innings, first part of the first inning. This space is evolving so rapidly that I actually applaud innovation that not only happens at Yuga, but it happens anywhere else in the space, because we have a shared interest. And the shared interest is to evangelize what Web3 can really do and how it can transform experiences. And that was also a key learning, the importance of Twitter, but then also the importance of actually supporting others in the community, not only our own community, but other projects, because we're all in this together. And that's making the Web3 much more useful and accessible. You don't really see that, I guess, among big gaming players, right? You see it among like game designers and game studios and gaming platforms, but not like the makers of one game, they're not necessarily going to reach out to the other guys and say, hey, how can I help you with your game, right? That's right. I guess along that, as also a student of innovation, in a former life, I was a management consultant and I did commercial innovation and government innovation. And then that was a big difference doing that versus having a food tech company and sort of running sprints there. I'm curious, sort of, as you've stepped into this role at Yuga, you've clearly have looked at like release schedules and information sharing and how Yuga does that compared to what you did previously in some of your other roles, particularly Activision, where maybe things are held a little bit closer to the vest than Web3. Have you tweaked the Yuga model to be a little bit more private in some ways? Or have you sort of embraced this Web3 way fully? Do you think there's something to learn from your experience in gaming, for example, that you've applied to Yuga? That's an excellent question, Josh. And I thought about this a lot. I joined Google when it was still a very small company. It was a few hundred people in the company when I joined. And the ethos at Google was launch and iterate. It was okay that you were in alpha or beta, but you launched it out there and then you figured out what was working and get users out there to test whether the product resonated or not. 
And as Google grew, and I ended up leaving Google when it was from a few hundred people to over 120,000, I think, when I left, the development process was such that they were much more concerned about the brand and ensuring that all products were perfect. So that launch and iterate concept was only in a few fringe areas of Google, but not the core product. Now you move to gaming and particularly companies of the size of Activision Blizzard, where you have these mega franchises that take two years, three years, sometimes five years to make hundreds of millions of dollars that are at stake. It's hard to bring that mentality of test and innovate unless you're working with brand new IP, just kind of launching it out there and see what works. So the benefits of the early days of Google were that you were much more transparent and raw in what you were doing. And the community, which in the early, early days of Google, Google was seen as a true innovation engine. So they gave them a lot of slack for technical errors and such. And the community actually made the product bigger and better. So there's benefits there that I think Yuga has done a really good job with. But then as you start thinking about projects like Other Side that are much more complicated in nature, much more complicated in, in platform tech that's required. And at that point, you actually need a greater level of operational rigor and discipline, like Call of Duty, where you start one year thinking of what you're going to launch three years from now and all the different steps that are required. It's a much longer time frame. So since I joined and I've had a number of new hires that came, including Mike Sievers, who was the CTO of Riot Games and Epic, Dave Rolison, who ran some of the largest partnerships at Google and was an incredible operator. Now, to bring that level of operational discipline for our innovation, but we have to balance that with that startup scrappy launch and iterate fast. And it's a constant tension. I'm sure you experienced it, Josh, in your previous career. And with this company, you know, with how fast the NFT space and the event space is evolving, right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. So we're still actually striking that balance. And we hear from the community where they say, hey, as you become much more secretive or you're not really releasing as much and you're not telling us as much. And we've tweaked that actually over the last couple of months where we're much more proactive. We actually separated our gaming Twitter handle from the rest because we were flooding for those who weren't necessarily passionate or interested in gaming, we were flooding their channels with that information. So we're actually doing, I think, in my view, a much better job, but there's still some work to do to ensure that people know what it is that we're working on and that we get uncomfortable in some of our launches and go, okay, here we go. (laughs) Let's see what they say. For me, it harkens to the core of human psychology, where I think in some cases we think we want to know more than we do. We actually do enjoy surprises, but not all the time, right? It's just like, surprise me a little here and there. It depends what else is going on in our lives. And if it happens that what you guys are doing is the most exciting thing in someone's life, they're going to be really curious, right? Actually, I want to lean into that because one of the things that I thought brought a lot of joy to a lot of people initially in the board eight community is all of a sudden mutinates came out, right? So if you own one, all of a sudden you're getting airdropped this mutant and you're like, wow, like this is so cool. So I've become part of it. Then you're like, oh, by the way, we're building 
a game and we're building other sides and they're like, Oh my gosh, this is awesome. Like you keep building that up. And so that was one of the big things that came out in 2022. Obviously are still working on that, but Daniel, I've been curious, like what's been the focus on the back half 2023 for Yuga and where a lot of your focus has been. On a number of fronts. First, when I first joined the company, what I did is I took a much closer look at our holders and where they are and what they're interested in. And two things really stood out. One, obviously, Board Ape community, really, really strong, incredibly entrepreneurial, but also very global in nature. And we had done our first two Ape Fest here in the United States. We were already actually going down the path of doing Ape Fest in Vegas, believe it or not, for this year. And again, I looked at our holders and said, well, what have we done for our holders in APAC? And we hadn't. It is and was a relatively young company. So I said, let's do something really unique and different in APAC, not only to serve our APAC holders, but also to have just a, a very different experience for our North American holders. So we announced that we're going to do Ape Fest in Hong Kong. And that was, I guess, now a month ago already. Wow, went, went by fast. But it was incredible just to see people from everywhere around the world and our Hong Kong and China-based and Asia-based holders, everything they did for the community ended up being not only a, a two-day Yuga-hosted event, but ended up being a five-day community-based event that was just absolutely spectacular. So ensuring that we are connected with our global community, and I spent a lot of time traveling in Europe and in Asia since I joined, that was one. The other is when I first joined, there was a lot of unhappiness in particularly the CryptoPunks world. They felt that we weren't really respecting them and supporting them, and it was all about BAYC. And I realized very, very early on that even though we do have both holders of CryptoPunks and Board Ape, the CryptoPunks holders really, really, really care about the artistry and the elegance of what CryptoPunks really means, is obviously being the first NFT collection out there. So we've done a lot of work of elevating our overall partnerships with museums around the world. We had the Centre Pompidou in Paris, had an exposition with CryptoPunks out there, doing much more engagement events for our CryptoPunks teams and community holders. So I think we're in a much, much better place because we recognize what they stand for and what they value. And I think that's great. And then on the Bored Ape side of the world, honestly, I didn't expect this, but and it makes a lot of sense. If you give someone ownership over the IP, and a lot of them are very entrepreneurial, well, they're going to do some crazy things with them, whether they create ape water or ape whiskey, or someone who has a hamburger joint in the Philippines with their board ape. That level of made by apes entrepreneurship is phenomenal. And we've been very, very supportive and leaning in to how we can help this whole ecosystem build businesses off of the made by apes. But we still have a lot to do. MeBits, we've got really interesting plans that we had. We showcased a little bit of what we were doing in Berlin about a month and a half ago for the MeBits community. Codas, we have a lot also in play. That's good to hear because I happen to have accidentally pulled off the market post mint, but pre-reveal one of the rarest cold Codas and other sides. So Really excited to see what happens with my coda and what kind of adventures it goes on over the next year. Yeah, I think we got a whole host of things that planned across the board. Like we're, this is the challenge, honestly. 
because we have, as I said, selfishly and subjectively, I, I think we have the best Web3 community in the entire world. But it consists of a whole host of different kinds of people and different kinds of brands and different kinds of expectations and different experiences, whether they're art, whether they're gaming, whether it's other side, whether it's IRL events. So for a company, our youth that were two plus years old, and we're still relatively small, to be able to execute upon all of them and keeping the communities as excited and engaged and supporting them, that's not easy to do, but we're all committed to it and we're all incredibly passionate to get it done. Yeah, I mean, I can't help again, but think about the analogy of Outer Edge LA because our goal with that event, formerly called NFTLA, has been to create a home for everyone, the builders, the creators, the founders, the VCs, the talent, the talent managers. And as you do that, you just realize how much diversity has been attracted to Web3 for different reasons. Some people love the art. Some people love the technology. Some people love the gamification capabilities, right? And with all these different things, you have to sort of make a recipe or multiple recipes that everyone likes to taste, but they don't feel like the spice of what they love about Web3 is sort of taken out of the recipe, right? That's absolutely right. If there's one thing they all have in common, which is what I love about this space, is to get into Web3, you know it, it's complicated. You know, it's hard. You have to understand the tech, the hurdles to get on board are pretty complicated. You consider how hard it used to be to get onto the internet in the early days with the modem and the dial-up. That's peanuts compared to you know what it takes to ensure that you buy in the right way and you get a wallet and you don't hit the wrong link and you don't get fall prey to to scammers etc so despite all that there's so much energy and so much excitement in the space it's the one common thread is people are really passionate about this and they may have to your point josh very different reasons for being in it but the fact that they are so vocal on Twitter, that's so vocal on Discord, that they're so vocally connected is because they love what they're doing. And we all see the promise in the space. Look, I was very fortunate enough, I graduated from grad school at a time when the internet was just starting to take off. And I got in early, early, early on, you know, this is 1993, 94 into uh, the internet space. Anyone who was in the space, you could see like, this is going to change so much of the world. And you went through these roller coaster rides where people said, oh, this is all a hype. It's all about gambling. You're not going to do shopping on the internet. And then all of a sudden, like you realize, oh, no, it is going to transform. And then you go on to mobile. And I was lucky enough to be at the epicenter of the mobile evolution with Android on the Google side, helping build out the mobile ecosystem. And you saw it. And then same thing in, in gaming. I moved to gaming in late 2019, early 2020 because I knew gaming was going to be the next social networking platform because that's how people connect and enjoy each other. All this that we're going through in Web3 is so transformative. I'd say, if not as maybe more transformative than what internet was in 93 and what mobile was in 2008. And we're going to look back on it. We're going to look back on your catalog of interviews and we're going to go, wow, you know what? We even underestimated where this was going to go. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well said. And someone recently shared over the fence a new coffee table book that was created about Web3 in its first two years. And it was so rich with stories and narrative and complexity and nuance. And it kind of gave me this warm feeling like so much has been built, the pipes for the future. And now it's time to sort of create that future Along those lines, you started to mention Made by Apes, and we just want to touch on that a little bit more because it's a really unique and special concept. So for those at home that aren't aware, this is basically how Yuga verifies, supports, and amplifies holders-made brands that are using sort of the Board Ape Yacht Club and Mutant Ape Yacht Club NFT IP. You mentioned a couple of those use cases, and we've had a chance to experience them. We partnered with Ape Water for Outer Edge, and there was a burger spot just a little south of here, south of LA. I'm sure you've seen so many fun use cases creatively. Maybe you could kind of touch on some of the other ones that have crossed your desk, so to speak, and then your hopes and aspirations for what some of the use cases could be. I think we've seen some of that potential with Pudgy Penguins has done with Walmart and that incredible collaboration. Where do you see all this ape-made IP going? It's limitless. And this really gets me excited because I love being able to help people create businesses and create jobs anywhere around the world. And it's pretty much to any major city that you go to, you are going to find a really strong ape community. And even more exciting is when you go and there is a hangout spot that is owned by an ape holder and they apeify their location. So for instance, every time I go to Tokyo, I go to the Roppongi district and there's an ape bar there that is just so uniquely done and has four apes right there up in the front and is not only an innovative bar in Roppongi, but it also attracts community members every time they go to Tokyo. So I love that kind of collaboration where people are inviting community members to participate and help each other. But I hark back to the early, early days of YouTube when Google acquired YouTube. YouTube as a platform went in a bunch of different directions that we could never have predicted. So when YouTube started, it was essentially a site where people would post funny cat videos and baby videos. And we thought, well, what's likely going to happen is we're going to get enough eyeballs on the platform and then we're going to get licensed content. So we're going to get all the major studios are going to license their content. And you're going to be kind of like Netflix, right? On YouTube. But what we didn't expect was... Yes, it went down that path, not as extreme as Netflix, but obviously you can see a number of licensed content movies on YouTube. But the UGC aspect, the user-generated content aspect of YouTube really took off, where you had uh, content farms that made content just for YouTube. You had the influencer economy. You had talent agencies only for that, a way to do commerce. So if you provide a platform where people can actually own their businesses and innovate, that's where things really take off. And that's what's happening here. So we have, as I mentioned, I bought neon signs from a guy who makes board neon signs that should be coming, I think, in the next two days that I'm going to put up in my wall over here. 
shirts, whiskey. There's a great Polish holder who makes fantastic whiskey. And I, we actually did this at, at A-Fest in Hong Kong. We had this whole wall, what we call the bodega, that was actually dedicated to all our made by, or some of our made by Apes holders who've created businesses. But a lot of those are offline businesses. And what I mean by that is you're selling water, you're selling whiskey, you're selling beer, you're selling clothes, you're selling neon signs. Where I think other side is going to come in and how this whole space is going to evolve is similar to YouTube, where you're going to have innovation of IP and the shared IP that happens in community-based IP creation, and new digital models are going to be created. And there's already some that are evolving where, you know, there's a company that has licensed the board apes from some of our holders, and they're making casual games out of them. They're making puzzles and they're finding ways to generate new engagement and revenue. And now I'm starting to see others where one has licensed content from one of the major sports leagues, and they're going to apify some of the experience that you see in some of the games to others are engaging with Hollywood and getting rights to be able to digitize and turn some iconic movies into board ape movies. Like this level of innovation is going to continue and we're going to make sure we're going to support them. That's awesome. And that's been one of the biggest draws, I think, to the community is how you are empowering your collectors to kind of just be entrepreneurial and give them resources and to support them. Like the fact that y'all did that bodega and let other holders be able to come in and try all those different things. Like, I mean, I personally am a big whiskey fan. So if you say it's good, I might have to find a way to try some myself selfishly. But I mean, part of all of this and another question I kind of want to ask you about is the importance of the creator and making sure that they are not just protected, but that you're giving them interest in how they're going about their entrepreneurial journey. So on that same kind of token, you Yuga Labs and Magic Eden recently teamed up to create a marketplace with a focus on protecting creator royalties. Can you kind of share more about this partnership and what people can expect from that marketplace? Very excited. I've known Jack, the CEO and founder of Magic Eden from way back, actually, when we both worked at Google. They're a great company. And at the core, they fundamentally believe, as we do, that creators should be compensated for their work. And there were other marketplaces out there who may have started that way, but they lost their way or they weren't willing to invest in the right tech to ensure that royalties were protected. It was actually a disappointment to me. I didn't expect this to be one of the issues I would have to deal with when I became CEO. And when OpenSea came out with their announce, it was crystal clear for us that we as industry leaders needed to make a stance for creators and for protection of creator royalties. So we made our announcement and we immediately started looking at potential partners out there and Magic Eden really stood out. And they've been a great partner, great collaborator, and it's a contractual commitment that they have of supporting creator royalties. And look, this space, as I mentioned in the beginning, it's so important to create an environment where creators can make money and find avenues to connect with different kinds of communities. And if we don't support that, this ecosystem is not going to evolve as quickly 
and as obviously as creatively as, as we all know it can. So setting the ground rules right from the beginning, particularly with companies like us who are so focused on doing right for the industry was an absolute right thing to do. And, and that's part of the commitment that we have with the Magic Eden Partnership. Cool. And what's next there? Well, they are looking at next launch of the marketplace and we're collaborating with them. And I believe they're in discussions with other players. As I said, we're all in this as an industry together. So I think you're going to see a number of announces and launches coming out of Magic Eden. Very cool. Well, let's turn our attention to Ordinals for a moment. It's another buzzy topic. Ordinals community, it's all about Ordinals 24-7, 365. And it's hard not to feel a little of that energy, even if you haven't dived deep down the rabbit hole. I know you guys have also started to explore that with creation of 12-fold. would love to learn more about that project, the vision behind it, how it's been received from the community, and what you see going on with this Ordinals movement. Michael Figge is a founder of We Knew and the brainchild of 10KTF. It was a company we acquired, and he's our chief creative officer. He's very, very passionate about this space, and he was one of the, the core people that bought our 12-fold collection. And before 12-fold, Yuga really hadn't built a pure art project. And having thoughtful artwork is something that is obviously core to, to Figgy and core to what we do as a company. Um, a lot of our work is really positioned to build value within the Ethereum blockchain in a way that has composability with other protocols on Ethereum. So... To publish something on Bitcoin really takes away from that composability. And that allows the work to stand alone purely as artwork. And 12-fold for us really was an opportunity to create something simple, clear, and then with the same level of traits and variance and collectability that we as Yuga are known for. It was received very, very well. And since then, we've had quirky engagement. We've had the puzzle series. It's had about 50,000 people participating in, in the campaign over the last 12 weeks. And we're going to continue launching new. I think we're on to our final puzzle soon. And the winner of the puzzle is actually going to receive a 12-fold. So it's actually worked out really well and resonated with it. But for us, really, it comes down to the importance of innovative artwork. And I think that's why it struck a really strong chord. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense with ordinals. You have this immutability on these engravings on Bitcoin, which is like some would argue more permanent than engraving something in gold or diamond. So tying that to fine art like you all did makes sense. So sounds like that's sort of how you're looking at that space at the moment. Eyes wide open. There's also like Darewise is coming out with a Bitcoin powered game. So a lot of fun stuff happening there. We'll have to see how it all unfolds. I guess the story is still being written. That's right. When we say like it's going to take me six months to understand the space, just as you think you understood it, <laughs> you know, curveballs get thrown at you. But the level of innovation here is fantastic. And my role as CEO is one to make sure that Yuga is at the forefront of innovation. And two, that we're there to support creators who are actually thinking about new ways of engaging in new creations. And that's so exhilarating. Oh, absolutely. And as you said, as becoming the CEO, you get thrown all kinds of curveballs. You know, one that was 
bear must curveball for for most of us here in the Web3 space is the extended bear that we've seen over the last two years. And with that, a lot of hard decisions have to be made in order for companies to be successful and survive and to thrive. And one of the challenges that had to happen were layoffs. So can you kind of walk us through the thinking of why that decision had to be made and some strategic plans that you have for 2024 on how you can continue to grow talent and continue to grow Yuga Labs? Yeah. Look, I don't take those decisions at all lightly. It impacts people, their careers, their livelihoods. And where we were at when I first joined the company, and it's very normal for a startup to be in the space where you start with four entrepreneurs who have an idea. And then before you know it, you've got a huge business and global attention and you raise capital and you get so many offers of partnerships and ideas. And the hardest, hardest part for a startup, in my view, is not how to say yes. Saying yes is easy. It's how to say no, right? And when I first stepped into this role, I saw just the number of really well-intentioned ideas and where the company wanted to go. But I said, realistically, for a company of our size and where we are, we need to narrow down our focus and really get the few areas that are really going to matter and really going to move the needle, get those moving in the right direction, including the re-engagement with CryptoPunks, as I mentioned, the focus on art and creativity, the engagement made by apes, MeBits, the evolution of our gaming strategy. As I start talking about them, I think, you know, we're a company about 120-ish people. That's a lot on our plate. So many of the people that were hired were hired with some of the other projects in mind, and their skill set was really not attuned to the priorities that we had and execution priorities that we had. So we made a pivot and brought in people who understood platforms like what we're trying to build with other side. And Mike Sievers is leading that in his endeavors in the infrastructure side of other side, but also people who've understood how to build ongoing digital experiences and live operations. That was a skill set that we didn't really have that we needed to bring into the company. So it's just a normal evolution of companies who need to focus on few key priorities that really matter and set ourselves up for success in 2024 and beyond. Hello again, Web3 Curious listeners. If you're tuning into our podcast, we'd love for you to connect with us on our social media channels. Let us know what aspects of the show you love and what or who you're eager to hear more about. Your insights help us refine the show and bring you the topics and guests that matter most to you. Thanks for sticking with us. Back to the episode. Yeah, I appreciate your candor and reflective nature on all of this. I, for one, am very sort of bullish on you guys and what you all are doing and with the types of folks that you've brought in. It's going to be exciting 2024 and honored to have this conversation kind of going into the next year. And I think we also want to take a little bit of time to get to know you as a human, if that's okay. If you can figure out whether I'm a human being or not, yeah, that'd be awesome. All right. What do you think, Richard? Oh, absolutely. We should dive into some uh, quick hitters. Let's do it. So how this works, Daniel, is Edge Quick Hitters are a fun and quick way to get to know you a little bit better. There's going to be 10 questions, and we're looking for a short, single word, a few word response, but feel free to expand if you get the urge. Sound good? Sounds good. 
Let's do it. All right. Number one, what is the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? The first thing I ever purchased was a KTEL album called Goofy Greats. Nice. Loved it. Actually, I played it so often. It was like, again, I'm dating myself. It was with Needle, you know, with the turnstile. Played it so many times that I think the Needle eventually ended up creating grooves on some of my few Goofy Greats compilation favorites. Nice. I'm Googling it right now. My girlfriend is a record player. It might make the cut <laughs> for this it's season. Awesome. We've, got, we've got Bread and Butter, Eatsy Bitsy, Teeny Weeny, See You Later, Alligator. Sweepers <laughs> of the Red Baron, Purple People Eater, Boney Maroney. I can actually name all of them because I listened to it that so many times. <laughs> nice. All right. It's on my list. I'm going to see what this album's all about. What is the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? That's painful to admit. So I grew up in Mexico City. I know you wanted a one word answer, but I grew up in Mexico City and my dad uh, sent my mom and the kids to Canada so we could learn English and French. So when I was nine years old, I guess I moved to Toronto and I got this chewing gum that came with hockey cards of hockey legends. And I sold a Guy Lafleur Montreal Canadiens card to a friend of mine because he had been looking for that when I apparently it was rare, the one that I got. I said, yeah, you sure have it. And I've looked it up recently to see the value of what it is that I gave away. And that was a bad, bad, bad trade for the nickel that I got for it. <laughs> are, we, are we talking five figures, six figures? It's six figures. If it had been kept in mint condition, yes. That's the sign of a true friend right there. You just golden child right there. <laughs> a, true, a true friend or ignorant and knowledge is king, right? Who would have known? <laughs> That's right. Wow. Well, what is the most recent thing that you've purchased? Actually, the neon sign of my Captain Poncho. One of our community members is a neon maker and just bought it. And I'm expecting it, as I said, any any day now. Cool. We'll have to get a picture of the sign from your team after it's uh, hanging on the wall. You will. That'd be a great one. And how about what is the most recent thing that you've sold? I have five kids, two, four, 10, 11, and 13-year-olds. So we've had one crib for all five. And the two-year-old has now graduated from that one crib. And we sold that crib. Painful to see it go, but the crib is gone. Well, it got your use out of it. And I mean, it's something that all your kids got to share. So that's pretty special. You notice I haven't sold any NFTs. I'm a holder. Are you going to think or say, did he sell any NFTs? I haven't sold. I'm a, I'm in it for the long haul. Diamond right. hands, baby. Right on. Daniel, what is your most prized possession? Sounds corny. Integrity. In life, if there's one thing I've learned, both from my parents and from my own experience, is you cut a corner once. And you may benefit from cutting that one corner, but you won't sleep well and it'll come back to haunt you at some point in your life. So integrity is everything. That's the first time anyone's answered that question and over 300 episodes that way. And yeah, I totally respect that. My co-founder, Jeff, West Point guy, and integrity means the world to our company as well. Absolutely. If you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical service or experience is currently for sale, what would it be? If I could turn things around here, you'd see I'm surrounded by three things. Family pictures, 
Made by Apes products and the band Rush Paraphernalia. And what I would really, really want is the drummer of Rush's drum kit from the 1980s. That's nice. Awesome. Well, I'm pretty good friends with Scott Page from Pink Floyd. So if it was a Pink Floyd request, I might be able to help you. But hopefully someone out there listening to this can um, phone a friend and hook you up. I'm sure someone in the ape community can help you out here. Yeah, I think so, too. It went up for sale. Uh, it's a red mahogany Tama drum set. and went up for sale on eBay about 25 years ago. And someone scooped it up for, I don't know, like a thousand bucks or maybe 2000 bucks. And I remember I was like, oh, maybe I should bid for it. And now, you know, I, I was focused on something else and I missed it. So unfortunately, he, he passed away two, three years ago. But his drum set from the 1970s sold for six figures. This one from the 1980s, whoever bought that in eBay. And I've been trying to track the, the person down. And I can't find him or her is sitting on a gold mine. That's awesome. It goes back. I mean, you just even knowing the power of that in eBay, like the correlation over the NFTs just probably made perfect sense. You're just like, wow. I get it immediately. Let's go. Perfect. Yeah, absolutely right. Scarcity and uniqueness breeds tremendous value. Oh, for sure. Um, and emotional it, value too. That's the other thing. Oh, I'm yeah. emotionally, emotionally tied to this band because so much of my teenage years were so tied to being a geeky guy who liked Rush playing air drums <laughs> like I used well I actually played air drums and real drums and was in a band and I tried to mimic him whenever I could so if I man if I could have his drum set I actually do have again I know you want a short answer I actually do have a unique drum set I have Stuart Copeland's drum set the drummer from the police when they did the reunion tour actually believe it or not I own his drum set but it's Neil Peart's drum set that I want it's the emotional connection piece. Like you said, that really draws people in. And that's why I think what you guys are doing at Yoga makes a ton of sense. But for the next question I have for you is if you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would it be? I'd say constant reinvention, like reinvent yourself, reinvent the world, continual reinvention and putting yourself in really uncomfortable situations where you do new things in new ways has done well for me professionally. And I always put myself like right at the intersection of opportunity and innovation. And that's what really spurs the world. If done for good, it can really transform people's lives as Board Ape has done for so many people and as CryptoPunks has done for so many people. Absolutely. It's the creative thinking that allows for so much innovation and for new ways to solve problems. But I guess to ask the question on the flip side, if you could eliminate one of your personality traits for the next generation, what would that be? Wow. Okay. That's a tough one. It's always easy to say all the good things. I do have an obsessive personality, which I think can be really good, but at times it can really drain you, particularly if something is not going in the, in the direction you want it to. And you're like obsessively focused on the quality and the execution of things. That's a lame answer, but it really is. Like at times it's gets so strung up when I just said, all right, just take it easy. Like take a look around you and everything that's good and all the bounty and the goodness that exists around you. Don't be so maniacal on certain things. 
Yeah, it's a good reminder. I was just listening to a podcast this morning while I was working out about happiness. It's easy to sort of get so passionate, as you mentioned, about all this potential technology and things and creating all these jobs all over the world. But looking within every time to time is helpful too. Uh, You know what I'd say, Josh? (laughs) I'm just envisioning in just what you just said, here's Josh who just got put into a tub of ice cold water and thinking, what is happiness? Happiness is getting out of this water. (laughs) That's true. I don't know, man. I'm getting pretty content in that tub of water. They timed me for five minutes on Sunday and I was still in it six and a half minutes later. So I'm there. I'm going to try it. I'm going to commit on this podcast that when I go to LA night and I meet up with you, I am going to give it a try. That's awesome. It's going to be a lot of fun. You won't regret it. Well, I know what you didn't do, but what did you do just before joining us on the podcast? I actually changed the batteries on a little fan that was given to me that I've used so much. It was given to me at Ape Fest by the Hong Kong Elite Apes. And you may be able to see it, but it has Ape Fest Hong Kong 2023 when you rotate it. And when I'm in meetings and things get hot and heavy, I turn on the fan and it cools me off. Nice. Thank you, Kong and Lead Apes. If they only knew how much use I got out of that fan. Very poetic. I was in UAE a lot lately and they had those there and it was clutch. What are you going to do next after the podcast besides find the closest place to get a cold plunge? <laughs> and open an ice cold Coca-Cola? I am actually having a meeting with the other side team, and we're going to go over some of their immediate work that they have planned for early in 2024. So a lot happening in the other side. So if you look at my calendar, a lot of time is being spent with the great team that we have on the other side. Well, I'll send you offline all the attributes of my coda, just in case you want to consider that information in some shape or form. Just in case. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, thank you for all of that really insightful information. We always like to wrap up with a fun bonus question. Just to keep it on topic and theme for the one thing that you've ever wanted was the drum kit from Rush. You only get to pick one. What is your favorite Rush song? It has to be 2112. It was a game changer for them as a band. And I remember as a 12-year-old when someone put the Sony Walkman... (laughs) I remember that really well. And he put said, hey, you got to listen to this. And he put it in my ears and went, holy, what is that? It was like a Mexican who just relocated to Canada and heard this. And I went, wow, that just knocked my socks off. So it has to be 2112. You have questions about blockchain? Like, how big of a block can you chain without throwing out your back? Or have you received that chain letter? How did you block it? And does blockchain taste better, barbecued or deep fried? (laughs) Luckily, you don't have to ponder these quandaries alone anymore because Blockchain Training Alliance is here to answer them and also train you in real world blockchain issues that will impact your business's bottom line and oriented future forward along the ley lines of the most important tech humanity has perfected since harnessing atomic energy. If you're into those sorts of things, 
Blockchain Training Alliance is a top leader in the field, counting among its clients IBM, Microsoft, Disney, Morgan Stanley, and many more, and offering a wide array of technical and non-technical courses. Whether you're a computer neophyte training for an incredible career in this new space, or a coding expert honing your skills, Blockchain Training Alliance will help you steer your ship home safely, filled with treasure. <laughs> Arg. So hurry and sign up for the Blockchain Training Alliance course that best fits your needs at blockchaintrainingalliance.com. Use discount code EDGEOF for 50% off and start your next block today. I know we're running out of time for this show, Daniel, but we have a segment called Shout Out where we just want to give you a chance to give someone in the ape community working hard behind the scenes a little bit of uh, TLC or the Yuga community. I shouldn't say ape community because there's a lot more going on at Yuga than just club anyone that comes to mind that you want to give a shout out yeah look first i know him as alfredo is known as pp man the guy is first of all it's his birthday today and tomorrow and the day after every day is his birthday which is incredible he's probably like six thousand years old now but he works so hard and he's so passionate and he loves the space and he loves the community so shout out to pp man and not necessarily inside our company but he has been dealing with health issues and you know it's gordon and he seems to be doing better but he's not totally out of the woods but to have a founder and a partner for me someone like gordon is unique i miss him inside the company but i'm glad to see him reviving his engagement in twitter and obviously wish him continued improvement in his health the company loves him. The community loves him. And his insights are fantastic. So a uh, shout out to Gordon. Beautiful. Yeah. Shout out to Gordon for all he's done for the Yuga family and the broader Web3 community. Wishing him the best. Daniel, this has been amazing just because it's important that people identify the right version of you on Twitter and the right version of Yuga. There's a lot of folks imitating Yuga. Where do people go on Twitter to follow you and to follow Yuga Labs and all the cool stuff you guys are up to? Well, I'm at DLA Gray on Twitter, and you'll see my Captain Poncho as my handle. Very accessible, and I try to respond to any direct mails that anyone sends me. And then, obviously, if you go to Twitter and you search for Yuga Labs or Board Ape Yacht Club, You'll see our handles at Yuga Labs and also now at Yuga Labs Gaming as well. So that's where you can get our information or at Board Ape YC. We're very actively engaged and there for the community and there for support of the whole space. Beautiful. Well, that's a wrap for today's episode. We've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFT for today. Thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on the Starship, so invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey also much better. How? Go to Spotify or iTunes right now, rate us and say something awesome, then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Look for us on all major social platforms. We're typing Edge of NFT with no spaces and start a fun conversation with us online. And you can also join our newsletter at edgeofnft.com. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today. The views and opinions expressed on Edge of NFT reflect solely those views and opinions of the show hosts and its guests. Please make sure to do your own research. Our show is not financial advice. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk. 
Whenever making financial decisions, we recommend doing your own research and talking to your accountant for financial advice. From time to time, we may feature sponsored content on the show for which we receive value, and we may share links for which we receive a commission if you make a purchase through one of those links. Refer to our website, www.edgeofnft.com, for our full disclaimer, terms and conditions, and privacy policy. Thank you.